The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Open with me to the Gospel of John. First of all, to the Gospel of John. We have two texts this morning, actually. John and chapter 6. If you need a Bible, there's one in front of you. Take it from the pew rack and open to John chapter 6, and particularly verse 38. You can find that on page 892 of the New Testament. And then we will also be reading from Matthew. But uh, as you're turning there, let me just remind us what we've been doing this, this Advent season. You know, in this uh, four-week season of Advent, we have this time of preparation and consideration for the celebration of the birth of Christ. And uh, this year we've been doing something what, what might be called distinct or, or unique uh, uh, rather than going through some Old Testament passages and considering the, the promises and the fulfillments in the birth of Christ, rather than going through the birth narrative in Luke chapter 2 or Matthew chapter 1 and 2, we have been looking together at the person of Jesus. And that might sound altogether unremarkable, but we've been reminding ourselves that the Lord Jesus Christ is one person with two natures, that he is fully God and he is fully man. And it is with respect to the humanity of Jesus that we have been spending these significant considerations on his human nature. So we've been looking together at Jesus' human nature. We looked at his human body. Last week we talked about his human mind. And this week we are looking at Jesus' human will. And tomorrow night, we'll be looking at Jesus' human affections. But we've been concentrating our thoughts around this reality that Jesus is a true human. He is a true man. And with respect to his humanity, there are all sorts of these amazing considerations that we can give when we just pause and let our minds wonder at the reality of who Christ is as he has come for us to be our Savior and our mediator of this human race. He enters into our humanity. So this morning we're thinking about his human will. Let me just pause and we'll pray and then hear God's word from John chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 26. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We believe as the Spirit has given us faith that this is your word, inspired, full of truth, and without error. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to receive it as such. Lord, whether we hear this word with struggling ears or unbelieving ears or uh, ears that have uh, failure to trust you. Lord, wherever we are, we pray that the Spirit would give to us uh, fresh ears and new eyes to hear your word with truth. Lord, come and descend upon our hearts and our minds. Illuminate our minds to receive your word this morning, we pray in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. And now hear God's word from John and chapter 8, John and chapter 8, sorry, did I misspeak? I apologize. No, John chapter 6, John chapter 6 and verse 38. I'm all over the place, excuse me. John chapter 6 and verse 38, beginning at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 
But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And a second text from Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 26, that's on page 832. Turn left to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 26. This is in the scene of the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, beginning at verse 36. Again, hear the word of God. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to the point of death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God abides forever. And we'll be looking in detail here in Matthew chapter 26 as we consider the human will of the Lord Jesus. Now I want to acknowledge to you uh, as you keep your Bible open there, I want to acknowledge to you that uh, on a fourth Sunday of Advent that this might seem to be a very strange text to be reading, uh, jumping over from John chapter 6 and here in Matthew 26. We think about Christmas time, we think about you know magi and shepherds and an inn and you know, all the rest, but why, why Gethsemane which seems uh, maybe out of place at Christmas time? But we've been asking the question throughout this Advent season, um, who, is, who is this child? And we'll sing together just after this, what child is this? Uh, or in the words of uh, that beloved hymn, who is he in yonder stall at whose feet the shepherds fall? Tis the Lord, a wondrous story, tis the Lord, 
the king of glory. And we've been focusing our attention on the fascination of this unique one and what he has come to do. And this morning we want to understand that as the Lord Jesus has come in our flesh, in our humanity, he has a will. He has a a real and true human will. And there is perhaps no other place in all the gospel narratives that this becomes so clear to us and so evident of the struggle that the Lord Jesus has in his incarnation as in this moment, particularly in Matthew 26, that the Son has come to do the Father's will, and yet the Son also has a will. And in this moment, we find a great tension. And in this picture of the Lord Jesus, in his humanity, in our humanity, uh, we will find something that is so deeply significant for us that in our flesh and in our humanity, struggle to do what Jesus is also struggling with here. And we'll see that later on. We want to understand this, that the Son has a will. Now, before you get much further, perhaps you're looking at your handout and asking the question, uh, what is a will? Uh, that is not just, you know, fancy philosophical language, theological language. Uh, we think of a will, a human will. And a will is that, that faculty of our person that makes decisions. Our, our will is that faculty that makes those decisions. A, a will is what resolves inside of us with purpose and intention, with volition to choose and make decisions. If you like, the, the will is that uh, uh, interchange of highways in our mind, in our bodies, that desire different things and come to a point of uh, impasse and we have to choose one or the other competing desires within us. And it is our will within us that exercises the volition of choice to choose and to do and make decisions. You have a will. Jesus has a will as a real and true human. And now if you think about this, you can illustrate this in all these different ways. When you have that moment of pressure and choice, uh, perhaps especially during this holiday season and all the treats are laid out in front of you and you have to choose, right, to, to have one or two or ten or twenty, you know, whatever, right? You are exercising the volition of your will or perhaps restricting yourself out of an exercise of the strong will that you have to, to restrain yourself perhaps. But in Jesus... There is a will. And that will is desirous to be obedient to his heavenly father. Jesus has come into the world to exercise his will to agree with the will of his heavenly father who has sent him to accomplish this glorious purpose to do the will of the father. Now, as we've been thinking about this, we've been perhaps Uh, caught up in something of wonder and amazement to think that with Jesus, within the person of Jesus, he is truly man and yet truly God. And so you should ask yourself the question, how many wills does Jesus have? How many wills does Jesus have? And the answer is that he has two. With respect to his divinity, he has God's own will because he is God. With respect to his humanity, he has a will as a man, a human will. The person of the Lord Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, has within himself the will of God and the will of man. 
With respect to his divine will, it is the will of the Father and the will of the Spirit united, the one will of God to accomplish salvation for the human race. It is not divided from the Father and the Spirit. It is united to the Father and the Spirit and glorious Trinity. Jesus possesses within himself the divine will of God and the will of a man. And this interchange of reality within the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is especially evident to us with his human will that develops, that grows, that, in, that increases. Last week when we looked at his uh, human mind and two weeks ago his human body, we've been thinking about the development of the person of the Lord Jesus. He had to grow up and he had to learn and he had to become obedient and he had to uh, grow in all these different ways. The faculty of his decision-making that informs what he does and what he doesn't do. So when he says to mom, Mary, I'm going to go out and play as a child, the Lord Jesus, as a child, is exercising his will to go play. You have a will and Jesus has a will. Now what's controversial about this that you might not uh, know perhaps is that uh, throughout church history there's been an argument about this. that Just exactly how many wills does Jesus have? In the 5th century uh, there was this question of whether or not he has a real Truman human will or not. There was this idea that Jesus' body is a man but his, his will, his soul, his spirit is God. And there was this crisscross of understanding of humanity and divinity being mixed together. That Jesus doesn't have two wills in the minds of some. He's just got one. But church history has continuously affirmed that he has two. And this, the mystery of the union of his divinity and his humanity, especially with regard to his human will, as we think about what Jesus wants to do, is never more clear in Gethsemane. We see it here. Now think about this scene again. Not a text we think of at Christmas time, perhaps. But think about Jesus in Gethsemane. Jesus, with respect to his human mind, knows and has become aware to what is unfolding before him. There's going to be a trial. He's going to be condemned. He's going to be executed. And Jesus knows this by illumination of the Spirit and understanding of the Scriptures. He has come to understand that he is Israel's Messiah, that he must do what God the Father has sent him to do. And all of this lays before him in this moment at Gethsemane. He stations his disciples, go over there and watch and pray while I'll do the same. And there is this moment of real darkness and real agony and real sorrow and seeking. As he seeks to understand, Father, what is your will that you have sent me to accomplish? And as he feels the intersection of God's will for Jesus and Jesus' own will for himself, and there is that agony there. And I want us to enter into that to understand what is happening here. Jesus knows what he has come to do. He knows what he must do. But yet there is this painful reality. Look again at verse 45. Jesus explains to the disciples that, that the hour is at hand. That what is about to unfold is unfolding according to God's purposes and and Jesus believes it and he knows it and he's trying to explain that to his disciples. Providence has ordered these sequence of events so that this child would be born and, and grow up and, and be the Messiah and yet the Messiah who is handed over to death, that the time has come for this to be accomplished. And he prays in verse 39, 
Verse 39, literally falling upon his face, prostrating himself on the ground, praying, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Well, what's he asking for? Uh, he is using Old Testament language that is known to be the, the cup of God's wrath, the punishment for sin that the Lord Jesus is being discharged to, to drink that cup, and he doesn't want to. And none should be surprised that he doesn't want to. Which is why he prays, let it pass. If it is possible, again, verse 39, let this pass from me. I don't desire to do this with respect to my human will. This is a, this is a difficult thing for me to do. And if it's possible to not do it, I would rather not do it. And this, friends, is when your understanding of Christmas will hit a point of maturity or not? Is this Lord Jesus the same sweet baby that's lying in Bethlehem's manger that we love to sing about? Is, it, is he the same person? Because if, if he is, then the purpose of this child coming into the world is to die. Not just to exist as a baby so that we can feel sentimental, but being sent into the world to accomplish this great purpose to, to be born and grow up and be the Messiah and the Savior and the sacrifice for sin, to give his life as a ransom payment for sinners. And Jesus knows all of that, and yet he is afraid of it. I think we can say that. It's looming upon him, and there is this moment of, uh, of desperate anguish the thought of being separated body and soul through death, and he is exercising his will. Is it possible that this pass from me? Now, you shouldn't read that as if it's some kind of fake temptation where Jesus is just pretending. It's real anguish, real sorrow. As a man with all the faculties of his will, you, in your will, exercise your will to preserve your life. You want to live. Jesus knows that he has come to die, and in his human will there is anguish at the thought of this. If it is possible, let this pass from me. The Son of God coming to the Father saying, I don't want to go down this road, this darkness, this uncertainty. But we see the latter half of verse 39, that significant statement. Do you see this? Not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. What you wrap your mind around what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying in his humanity, as our mediator, as the Savior, that he is choosing, he is exercising his will to walk by faith and trust for what God has sent him to do rather than preserve his own life. Not as I will. Because with respect to his humanity, he does not want to do this, but as you will. Do you see that? My will there. He's speaking about his human will as a man. But not according to my will, but according to your will, Father. See how these things are not an ultimate conflict. Jesus is with his human will resolves to do and agree with the will of the Father. But you find that tense moment. What will happen? 
What will he decide to do? What will, what will become of this Christ? What will happen? Now, I want to make a very quick application of this because I think that there's something significant here that I think if you're just going to gloss over this, you'll miss it. You know, some people have this idea of Christianity um, that's just, it's all smiles all the time. Hey, bub. Exercising the will. Some people have this thought of Christianity that is only happy all the time. That the Christian life is nothing but smiles and sunshine and rainbows continuously. And if you're not joyful all the time, that's not really Christianity. But you know that Jesus didn't exist in that way? That, that Jesus experienced this sorrow of weight and, and agony... So that if, if, if you have in your soul experienced weight and agony and sorrow and desperation, if you have cried out to God saying literally as Jesus does, God, why? And I don't want to and why, why must it be this way? God, I wrestle in my bones. My bones literally waste away within me. If you've been in that moment, you have been in places that the Lord Jesus has been in himself. And you ask yourself the question, does Jesus sin here when he is saying, Lord, not this way? Is that sinful? No, the Lord Jesus is perfect. He's never sinning. What does that mean quickly then? It means that it is possible for you, dear friend, to be in absolute anguish within your soul, crying out to God in righteousness. That God would rather have you be honest than fake it. That if the Lord Jesus can pour out his soul in anguish to the Father, so can you. So can you. And we see him here in the darkness of Gethsemane saying, Lord, let it pass three times. And we know the result, of course. But notice that as Jesus prays that there's no response, is there? There's no, there's no communication back to the Father from the Father. And throughout various times in his life, there have been, when Jesus was baptized, a voice from heaven, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. In Matthew 17, at the transfiguration on top of the mountain, this declaration, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And Jesus is in this moment pouring his soul out to the Father and there is only silence. There's no voice. Except for the fact that Jesus is here saying, I resign myself in my humanity and with my will, Father, to do as you will. He is saying and praying the same thing that we pray for every week, isn't he? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus is saying, yes, Lord. His human will gives himself to pleasing the Father no matter the cost, no matter the demand. In light of the fact that this is rising up within him, is there another way, if it's possible, wrestling with that and yet seeks the grace and mercy of the Father to 
give himself to obedience to the Father's will. And that's the same thing that we saw in John chapter 6. I've come down from heaven not to accomplish my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus has come to do the will of the Father. And in his human will, his real true human will in which he is exercising decisions, he has obeyed God. He has obeyed. Jesus has two wills, his human will and his divine will. And at this moment, his human will is under the most excruciating test, we could say, of temptation. So, what does that mean? What does this mean that we have a Savior who has within himself a human will? And why should you care as you exercise the decisions of your will? Well, there's very clear things that I think we need to understand here. You and I wrestle all the time in our wills to choose one thing or the other, to make a preference, make a choice, make a decision. We are constantly exercising our wills to do this or do this or not that or whatever. And oftentimes we are wondering in the exercise of our own will, what is God's will and what would he have me do and what's his plan and his purpose for my life? And everybody asks that question. Everybody faces those realities where we're saying, what is God's will? And what is so often the case is that, and we just be honest with each other on this point, that you and I often fail to do what God would call us to do, don't we? And we, we feel that weight of burden because we don't obey as we know that we should. And we have these competing desires within us that are those racing interstates of emotions and desires and affections that are going all sorts of which ways and what will win out and what will we choose will it be what God desires or will we outweigh God and say no my way when God says come this way we have this reality in our lives all the time and here's the point isn't it that we have a savior who always obeys who always obeyed, who perfectly obeyed, who wrestled as we wrestle, but whom in the end was always obedient. Because you and I wrestle, but the result isn't always obedience. It may be at times, it may not be at other times, but we have a Savior who wrestled and was himself always perfectly obedient. Obedience to God does not always match, win the match of our wills, but Jesus was always obedient. He was obedient not just for his own sake, but for we who lose the battle of obedience and give into our own will rather than doing the will of God as we see Jesus doing that here. So what, what we need to see in that is not just that we have a Savior who has exercised His human will perfectly in total obedience to the Father, and He is that for us, but also that when you find yourself in that moment wrestling over the decision, over the choice, over the whatever, that when you find yourself in that moment when your will is tested, not only do you have a Savior who is able to forgive your disobedience, but you have a Savior who is able to empower you and strengthen you to be able to choose the will of God in that moment when you find yourself so desperately tested and wrestling, saying, what will I choose? You have the strength of a Savior to encourage you and help you and to transform us into the people who delight to do the Father's will, even when that means sometimes we say to God as Jesus did, Lord, not as I will, but as you will. 
Because there are times when you are faced with circumstances when you would 100% rather go this way. And Christian obedience is calling you saying, this way. And in those moments we have great struggle. Now I know that that might seem perhaps claustrophobic to some, right? It's a little bit overwhelming. People say, you know, I like to do what I like to do and I want to do it my way and all the rest. And here's where the message of Christmas so wonderfully fits into this picture that Christmas is this marvelous paradox, isn't it? This massive contradiction to the way we would assume things would go that if God were to give us what we want, we would have never wanted this child, we've never wanted this savior, we'd have never wanted any of these things because we're perfectly content to have it our own way, thank you very much, and leave me alone. No, Christmas is all about God sending his son to give us what we don't want, which is actually something that we desperately need and could never provide for ourselves, which is what? In a word, grace. Grace overwhelming grace and you know one of the most frustrating things perhaps about you know Christmas and gift giving and all the rest is that you have this question you know you got this person on your list you know, what do I give to the person who you know blah 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 has everything already or doesn't like ever what I give them in the past if they really want it they just go buy it for themselves forget it right give them a gift card that sentiment that sentiment does not carry over when it comes to the gospel. And that's why the gospel is such good news because the angels sang about the joy of a savior. The one who has come to give a gift to those who don't even know they need it and it's something that they can't do for themselves. God in human flesh, taking on human flesh with a real humanity and a real human will and in that human will to perfectly obey the Father at every time in every possible tense moment of interchange who resolved in his human will to go all the way to Calvary and obey perfectly so that we who do not have a Savior who has if you can imagine in a moment in Gethsemane, the Son of God at that moment, maybe the earth trembled beneath his feet, what will he do? The angels holding their breath, what will he do? And the Son of God bowing his head, resigning his will to the Father, and going forward to be for us the Savior who is born into this world, a child growing up to be the Savior who will usher in this new kingdom that all those who see and believe and trust by faith receive forgiveness and mercy and grace upon grace in this infinite love of the Father displayed in the Son who obeyed. Don't miss the point of Christmas. Don't get so wrapped up that you miss the gospel in Christmas the Son of God and His perfect human will for us. Let us pray. Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your Son and we thank You that He has entered into this world in our flesh. We thank You that where we in our flesh fail and struggle, He has resolved in full righteousness to do Your will. And so help us, 
Lord, not only to believe and to trust, but also to follow and give our hearts and lives to the one who gave everything for us. And so, Lord, may your blessing rest upon us this season and always, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.